0: The story is told of a teacher who asked the class, Can you name the four chief points of the compass? And one girl said, um, But there are five points. And the teacher kindly said, I thought there were four, but you go right ahead. Name the five. And the little girl responded, There's north, south, east, west, and right where you are. Her answer was well beyond her years, wasn't it? And very timely for our study of the prophet Jonah over these next several weeks. It's good to know the directions, but the place to begin any journey is right where you are. God always speaks to us right where we are, no matter what. One day, more than 700 years before Jesus was born, God spoke to a man named Jonah and gave him a special job to do. But Jonah didn't want to do it, and he ran away as fast as he could. I don't want to. There's a short book in the Old Testament, in the Minor Prophets, that tells us all about what happened. The book of Jonah is only four chapters long, and it just has 48 verses. I hope you'll read it this week as we continue our series this month. Jonah is probably one of the better known books of the Bible outside of Christian circles, kind of like a one-hit wonder. He's known for one thing, spending three days and three nights in the belly of, most believe, a great whale. The Hebrew text says a great fish, but many people understand that it was a whale. It doesn't matter, but you get the point. Jonah in the Bible to many people is like a a one-term president, or a singer who's a one-hit wonder, like Vanilla Ice or Billy Ray Cyrus. (laughs) My view of Jonah has, over the years has been as a coward, kind of whiny, not much of a preacher and a person with a bad attitude. But the more I study him and the more I read and reread the text, the less harsh I become... Because I discovered that, well, I'm a whole lot like Jonah. How often has God said, Bob, this is what I want you to do. And I said, I don't want to. Jonah was not an evil man. He was not immoral. He was not violent. Not a religious heretic. He was God's chosen servant. Chosen, gifted, commissioned for a task But reluctant to obey. Like so many people who love the Lord deep in their hearts, Jonah decided God was asking too much. So he went the other way. And in the process, he discovered the truth which many people of God have discovered about God. And that is you can run, but you cannot hide from God. Over the next four Sundays, we're going to be looking at the book of Jonah taking a chapter a week, today's the first one, may we refrain from judgment against Jonah, may we be humble and honest about our own weaknesses as we look at this fish story that even Jesus mentioned in his ministry, I pray that we will discover something yet fresh and new about God and about ourselves. In the first couple of verses, you don't see all of this in the NIV or some other translations, but in the Hebrew, verse 1 begins with the word, now. It's a literary device that brings the hearer directly into action. It's like, now. Now something's happening. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. There's action from God right there at the beginning. I believe that it's significant that the book of Jonah uh, begins with divine activity instead of human activity. This is more than a story about Jonah. It's a story about how God worked through and, as we will see in chapter 4, despite Jonah. As we follow along, we find this book is rather significant in the prophetic books It's not a collection of God's declarations through a prophet as some others, but rather how the message of God affects the prophet himself. The character of Jonah is focal to the story. A few things about the context. Jonah, uh, the name in Hebrew means dove, like a messenger, one who was sent. You remember how Noah sent a dove? And you remember how the Holy Spirit appeared like a dove and came upon Jesus? Jonah's name means dove, a messenger. He was the son of Amity, and that name means truth. He was the son of truth. And another book in the Bible, 2 Kings 14, says that he was from Gath-Hefer in Galilee in the time of Jesus uh, this was in Galilee, just a few miles from where Jesus was born in Nazareth, a few, about three miles northeast of Jesus' boyhood home. So imagine Jesus growing up in Nazareth and ministering in Galilee. He would have been stepping in many of the places and experiencing many of the sights that Jonah had so many years before. Evidence suggests that Jonah was not some second rate, unskilled, one hit wonder preacher, but rather a powerful prophet. He was spoken to by God. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. He was listened to by kings of at least two nations, Israel and Assyria. As far as we know, up to this time, Jonah had obeyed God fully. Perhaps that's why God chose Jonah for this daunting task. Do you, have you thought about this? Do you think that God would have chosen somebody who didn't have a good track record to go to Nineveh? I believe the reason why God chose Jonah to go to Nineveh is because Jonah had been faithful to God's call before. Normally for a prophet, receiving a special revelation from God was a good thing. After all, without a message from God, a prophet, well, doesn't really have a job to do. But in this case, the call from God was not happy news. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, a great and rising nation. It was a growing threat to Israel and all the surrounding countries, Likely, this story would have been put into writing well after the Assyrians and the Babylonians had been defeated by the Persians. We would call this the second exile where the people were allowed to go back to their homeland. Uh, Although the story happened sometime before, it was written and taught sometime after. It would have taken on even more meaning, knowing the animosity of Israel toward the Assyrians after all that had happened. Nineveh was not a place where you'd go on vacation. Some of you are cruisers and you love to cruise. And uh, you take trips. Some of you enjoy traveling, getting on a plane or getting on a, a train or a bus and going. this would not have been where you would task your travel agent to book your trip. It was legendary for its wickedness and violence. Remember, there were no human rights treaties. There was no United Nations back then. If you read the prophet Nahum, he shares some of these atrocities in the first several verses of chapter 3. It's called there a city of blood. Inscriptions from that time depict barbaric behavior. And there is the call of God for Jonah to go to this place to tell them that your God was going to punish them if they didn't clean up their act. Not a very popular place to be. And with all this in mind, we shouldn't be very surprised by what we read in the next verse. We get to verse 3. Jonah ran. He ran from God. He went the other way. He left his town near Galilee and rushed to Joppa, a major port city, and boarded a ship to Tarshish to go as far away from Nineveh as he could. Tarshish is in modern-day Gibraltar. It's down in the southern part of Spain and about 3,000 miles from Jonah's hometown. It would be like flying from Richmond to LAX, Los Angeles, all the way across the country, and then some. Tarshish was uh, known for its wealth, particularly in silver and other precious metals and minerals. It had become synonymous with commerce and wealth and luxury and pride. So you can see the comparison here. Nineveh, the city of blood, or Tarshish, the city of luxury. That's where I want to go. And Jonah ran fast as he could down to Joppa, boarded a ship, and set sail for Tarshish. He ran. Before that, he was walking, or we would say running with God, and now he was running from God. This is not unusual for the people back then. We study in the Bible, and it's not unusual for you and me today. You remember the first family after they sinned against God? What did they do? Do you remember? They hid. They ran and hid from God. And God said, Adam, where are you? I heard you, God, but I was afraid because you are eventual, God, so I hid. God says, Have you eaten from the forbidden tree? Adam says, The woman, the one you put here with me, she gave it to me. It's her fault. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. God says to Eve, Eve, is that what really happened? Actually, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. It's all the serpent's fault. Ever since the beginning of humanity, people run and hide from God. We run from our parents. We run from authority. We run from our responsibility. We run from our calling. This happened throughout Scripture. Moses, Gideon, Jeremiah the prophet Isaiah, remember, he cried, oh, my lips are unclean. How can I do what you're calling me to do? In the New Testament, the disciples were called to follow Jesus, as you've just heard read, and they did. But then the Scripture uh, records that they doubted him, and at the cross they all fled except John, the beloved disciple. And later in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul talks to the Christians at Galatia, and says in chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, you were running a good race who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth. That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. And then in verse 4 and following, we see that the ship that Jonah boarded in Joppa heading to Tarshish was not the luxury cruise that he had booked. A great storm rose up out on the ocean. Everyone seemed to understand that it was not a natural storm except for Jonah who had closed his eyes and gone down deep below the decks and had gone fast asleep. The storm proved that you can run from God, but you cannot hide. God knows our coming out and our going in. The psalmist said that if he flew to the sky or swam to the depths, God would be there. Sailors, not the most religious folk, had become religious by this point. They were all praying to their own idols and gods for deliverance. But they also wanted to know who was responsible for all of this. Who angered the gods? And they cast lots. That's like drawing straws or rock-paper-scissors, or rolling dice. And the lot fell on Jonah. And Jonah accepted responsibility. And he told them what they needed to do. Throw him into the sea. This may have seemed like a benevolent gesture on Jonah's part, sacrificing his life for the crew and the passengers, but I see it otherwise... Jonah wanted to end his life, he'd rather give up his life in that way than follow his God. Why didn't he just say, I'm sorry? Why didn't he repent right then? He still wanted to have nothing to do with God's call to go to Nineveh. Not seeing any other good options, the sailors tossed Jonah into the sea. They didn't want to, did they? We don't know that they liked or respected Jonah. They hadn't known him but a little bit. But they didn't want to be judged by the God of Jonah for his guilt and death. But they felt they had no choice. And they threw him overboard. If we spend our time trying to prove that this is a fairy tale because no whale or great fish could swallow a man and protect him like that, or spend time trying to anatomically describe the sea creature who could have a great air pocket in its belly. Uh, If we try to figure all of that out, we have missed the point, I believe. God can do what God wants to do. If God wants to divide the great sea, the sea of reeds, the Red Sea, God will do that. If God decides to to divide the Jordan River well God would divide the river and if God chose to have Jonah swallowed up in the belly of a great fish that God will do what God will do one way that we can interpret this parable this uh, scripture is as a living parable Jesus did the same thing when he taught his disciples while standing with them out in the vineyard. Right there with them, he looked at the grapevines and then he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. So, I believe that we can look at this as a living parable that can be relevant to our lives even today. That the fish, the great fish, is a way to see God's great mercy, not God's judgment, that God provided Jehovah Jireh, provided that great fish to protect Jonah and to offer him a time where he could pray, as we'll see in chapter 2, and continue to follow the will of God. That God's provision here was not one of judgment, but one of mercy. His wrath and his salvation unfold together and God saved Jonah for a great purpose. And there we will leave Jonah in the belly of the great fish, three days for him, a week for us. And we will come back next Sunday to see what happens next. But a few questions for us today. What does this story say to us today so far here's today's catch we are not so different from Jonah we aren't a prophet is both a foreteller and a forth teller. God has given us a message to share with the lost and this hurting world that we are in How often do I take the opportunity to do that? How often do I run the other way when things get tough and difficult, uncomfortable? We are not so different from Jonah. The first question today is What's your Nineveh? What's God calling you to do? What's God calling me to do? here at HRBC and in our community and throughout the world? Often the most common answer is, I don't know. I want to see a burning bush. I need to hear a great voice. I need to have angels speak to me in my dreams. God has spoken in all those kinds of ways, and I'm sitting, I'm waiting for that. Sometimes we don't know exactly how God's word came to Jonah, but Jonah recognized it, and it happens to us too. We often don't know exactly how God is going to speak to us, but we we recognize it when we when we hear it, and so often we want to go the opposite way. Is there a family family member or coworker? you know, who needs to hear the good news of Jesus? Is God calling you to be more engaged in ministry opportunity and mission work through Huguenot Road? Is God calling you to honor him through your finances, your time, through your God-given abilities? Is God calling you to be stilled, to rest in him, to learn to pray? Is God calling you to serve in areas where children ministry, student ministry, senior adults, technology, I don't know what that is, but like Jonah, God will speak and he wants us to obey. What's your Nineveh? What's your calling? We'd love to talk with you about it here at the church. And the second question is this. What's your Tarshish? In what way do you and I run from God? It looks so much better than Nineveh. What's your Tarshish? Do we ignore him or just stay away, stop reading the Bible? Maybe if I stop listening, God will stop talking and calling me to do things. Or maybe it's compromise I'll do this instead. I won't do this, but I'll do that. I'll give a little extra. That will make me feel better. What's your Tarshish? Let me share with us before we wrap up a a theological truth. And you've heard it already today. And that is we can run, but we cannot hide from God. And believe it or not, this is good news. This is not bad news. Because as God is always with us. God pursues a love relationship with us. God is always going before and behind us. We can't get away from God. There's a young lady who made an appointment with her pastor. And she's really struggling. And while she was talking with him... She shared the emptiness and the discontent in her life. And she said this, quote, I just can't seem to find God. I can't seem to find God. And in the conversation as they continued to talk, the pastor learned that she had grown up in the church but had stopped attending some years before. She strayed from the faith. She went to college and got Um, farther away from the faith, and, and now she was living with an abusive boyfriend. She was miserable. And the pastor finally paused and after hearing all of that said this, quote, Your problem is not that you can't find God, it's that you can't get away from God. You see, God never stopped pursuing her. The restlessness and discontent in her life came because she had been running from God, just like the first family did, just like we do. This was her Tarshish. It looked good on the outside, but once she got there, she was miserable. There's a judgment of God by which God does not let us go on our own way. God keeps working on us. It may not be to put us in a fish belly, but sometimes it can be a bit uncomfortable. When we are running from God, we don't have that peace inside of us. Whether in the storm or in the fish, God is with us. God will provide for us, and when God calls, God will always provide the grace and the means for us to come back to Him and to do His good, pleasing, and perfect will. I'd like to share a prayer with you today, and it'll be on the screens, and I invite you to read it with me in unison. It's a prayer for help comes uh, from the book that I've been reading since my dad passed away by Dr. Peter James Flaming, former pastor of Richmond's First Baptist Church. And it's adapted from Deuteronomy 31. Once the words appear on the screen, let us read together. Lord, you have promised to go before me and to be with me. You have promised that you will never leave me or forsake me. I claim that promise right now. I truly believe you can help me to step beyond my fears and anxieties as I meet the responsibilities of today. Thank you, Lord. Amen. And thanks be to God.